We're in a series, but I'm going to start right away just reading this text uh, off the bat. It's, it's uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 15 to 21. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn, or it's going to be on the screen. And we're just going to jump right into this, and then into this morning's talk, and the finale of this series that we're in together. So let me get it. I want to, I want to read from my physical analog Bible um, right now, all right? Verse, verse 15. I don't know if that qualifies an amen, but maybe. I mean, it's, it's print, but it's good, Nick. I'm just joking. That's good. Awesome. I know, I know, I know. It's, just, it's good. So we won't get into the discussion. Okay, here we go. Verse 15. And he died for all. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Man, that, we could just leave right now. I thought that like, it's like God spoke through the text. It's beautiful. Um, have you ever been in a commencement speech? Maybe when you graduated or a friend or, a, you know, and, and when you're in a commencement speech, someone often comes and, and speaks to the graduates and, they, and it's funny. I don't know if you've seen this commencement speech that's uh, with uh, Will Ferrell, but um, uh, it's, oh, there he is. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So traditionally, what happens is in commencement speech, somebody comes, and when I, when I graduated um, several years ago, I remember this particularly, this was Bible school graduation, not uh, here at Concordia, and I re- well, I remember Concordia too, it was interesting, it was a journalist from, uh, from I think, the National Post that spoke, and uh, I've always heard her name, and then she was speaking live, she was kind of like our commencement speecher, but, but, but speecher, <laughs> what is that, where did that come from? That, oh man, I, did I even graduate? How did I say that? <laughs> Anyways, um, traditionally, right, the speakers come and they kind of encourage you and, and motivate you and, and, you know, tell you that you're awesome and that you can be all you can be and that you can conquer the world. And, and often when we hear these commencement speeches and they end up getting, going viral on YouTube and Facebook and stuff like that, it's often about you. It's often about me. Like, it's often like, what are, you know, how, what are you going to do and how great are you going to be and what's going to happen in your life and be successful? But the best ones, the ones that are most inspiring, the ones that are most important, I think, are the ones that take our eyes off ourselves. The best ones are the ones that take your eyes off you and my eyes off me and help us see the needs of the world around us and to discern our calling for our life and to serve the world and serve one another and really to give our lives away. I think those are the best ones. The last few weeks we've been in a series called Bigger Than You Think, looking at the cross, the fascination with the cross, the depths and the gravity of sin, uh, what the scriptures call atonement and what happened on the cross to reconcile us to God. But here's the danger. Here's the danger in getting 
in, in, getting caught up in that is beautiful, but sometimes the danger of, of, of just focusing on this piece, just ourselves, my salvation, my life, what God does for me, and how he's reconciled me to him and given me eternity. And kind of like graduation, the danger is it becomes all about me. And I want to ask the question today as we wrap this series up and move into Holy Week and celebrate Easter next, uh, Good Friday and then Easter, is what does the atonement create in us? What is the atonement, what Jesus did in the cross, what does it create in you and me and us? And is it more than just me and Jesus and me and heaven and me, me, me? Is it more than that? And, you know, the apostles in the early church and the first church, they showed us that the implications of their faith, the effects of atonement, is bigger than our personal salvation. It's bigger than the fact that, you know, yes, I've come into a relationship with God. Yes, that's the big deal about what happened on the cross. But the apostles in the early church showed us that it's bigger than that, that the atonement union in Christ goes beyond that, that it brought them into God's restoration project. That it brings us, when we come to Christ and when we get reconciled with God, it brings us into what he's doing. And you know what we become together? We become this. We become a community of reconciliation. We become a community of reconciliation. If we go back to that text in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I just want to walk through two or three verses. I love how Paul leads into this as he speaks to this early church that was having a really hard time. They were messed up in many ways. They dealt with inner conflict relationally. There was a lot of immoral things even happening in this church. Paul was trying to uh, encourage them, bring correction, challenge them. But I love what he says about this in their relationship with Christ and the atonement. He says, all this is from God who reconciled to himself, reconciled us to himself through Christ. All this is from God. So what we have now in Christ, what we have now with Christ, this new way of being in relationship with him, all of this is from God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But Paul pushes against our individualistic bent and their individualistic bent, and he moves us beyond that. He moves us beyond that. Look what he says. He says that first he says, if you go to the next slide, um, he who reconciled us to himself through, G- through Christ. And then he, he goes later on, just in case you're thinking this is all about you, Corinth. He says that God was reconciling who? The world to himself. That God's, yes, God's eyes are set on you. And yes, Jesus went to the cross for you. But there's a bigger picture here that God was reconciling not just us, you and me and us, The purpose is the world, that God is reconciling the world to himself. It's not just personal, it's global. Because the heart of God's restoration project is the nations. Israel's vocation to be a light to the nations. Jesus becomes the true Israelite. The church gets incorporated into God's plan to bring light to the nations. So this project that that, that God has is a reconciliation project. It's, it's bringing the disconnected and connecting them. It's bringing the broken and, and healing them, right? What's broken is healed. What's disconnected is connected. Nick, are we still friends? Because you moved. Are we okay? Because we're talking about reconciliation. I felt convicted right now. As we... <laughs> okay, okay. I, we'll talk later. I'll have to, I'm sorry about that. Um, 
So, so remember that. So it's not just us, it's the world. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the devastation or the gravity of sin. And I brought you back to this cool tile in Barcelona, this four-flower, this four-leaf uh, you know, tile, flower that they have there. And that we said that sin is hyper-relational. What, the fact that sin damages humanity, it, it damages us in many ways, but we can see it very clearly that it damages our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and our relationship with the world. And so this image is really cool to understand that sin is hyper-relational, but so is the atonement. So is what Jesus did on the cross. So is God's restoration project. That God's restoration project, God's, the atonement heals these broken relationships, heals our relationship with God, with ourselves, with, with each other, and with the world. And so it's multi-directional. I was like tearing up and getting so excited listening to Dory share her story. She, she shared all these relational directions. Her relationship with God was, was lost and disconnected. Her, her, something going in her, in her family with her, her dad and her parents, there was brokenness there. There was, there was damage that was done. And, and, and you could see, sense that there was inner damage. And as, as through God's grace and the work of his Holy Spirit, and, and I hope that inspired you to pray for your friends and family, that did you see the, what the atonement does? It brought healing. Her relationship with God and her dad's relationship with the family and their relationship with each other and even their, what was going on inside of them. It's multi-directional and relational. That's what the atonement does. It heals. It affects your whole life. Look what, look what Paul says to the Ephesian church in chapter 2, verse 13 to 18. Now, as, as we read it in a second, he's, he's speaking to mainly two groups that were prominent in the church, Jews that became Christ followers and Gentiles, non-Jews that became Christ followers. And they had a hard time connecting to each other. They had very different backgrounds. They had very different religious backgrounds. They had, they had different understanding of God as they came to know Jesus. Uh, all kinds of different things were different. But look what Paul says in, in this text. But now, and... and that little two-word phrase comes up a lot in Paul. Whenever you find it, circle it and read what it says and ask the Lord for the implication in your life. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were, who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see the language in that? Look how he continues. For he himself, talking about Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purposes, listen to this, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Just that language feels bigger than we think it is, bigger than we think thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near, and here's, here it is, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul is speaking to two groups here at the moment, but it applies to the fracturedness in our world, to the fractured relationship we have with God, with each other, even when we come to be a church together. And you can see how Paul echoes what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that God has reconciled us to God 
He's reconciled us to him through Christ. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Because notice in in Ephesians how Paul talks about it's not just a vertical reconciliation. It's a horizontal reconciliation. It's not just that, that Jesus has come and destroyed the barrier between us and God. That these two groups that could not get along, that would not get along, that have completely different backgrounds and their, their race or their, ethnic, or their ethnicity or their social status would have kept them apart. There would have been a wall between them. But in Christ, that barrier is broken. In Christ, that wall is broken. At the cross, they're able to, to become a new humanity, a, a new community, a new people in new relationship with each other. It's not only that the wall's been broken between us and God, but that the wall's been broken so we can come together and be part of God's community, part of God's people. And so it's this new kind of fellowship that's created at the cross. I want to call it this. I want to call it a community of atonement. It's, we are part of a community of atonement. The atonement brings us together in Christ and with one another, creating one body full access to God through his Holy Spirit. It's a community of atonement. A couple of years ago, Jonathan was sharing the news today, and, and uh, many of you know Jonathan is married to Victoria. We, at a church community, if you've been here long enough, you knew Jonathan before you knew Victoria. I knew Jonathan before he, um, he was dating someone, before he got married. And, um, you know, I really believe that singleness is a really beautiful and valid vocation within the Christian story. But I noticed something when Jonathan and Victoria got married. And they didn't know I was going to share this. But um, something special happened because, because um, you know, I, I, I got to meet Jonathan many years ago. And, um, and we spent many breakfasts together, uh, usually on me. I was the host. And so I say that for a reason. I don't say it to bug him. I say it for a reason. Because something beautiful happened when him and Victoria got married. They're, they've become these beautiful hosts to people in their neighborhood, in their life, off of John Abbott campus. There's like a group of young adults that run Alpha in their house, and they just leave and let their house be used for, for an Alpha group. Um, there's a community group from our church that meets there. And it seems as though their union created fellowship beyond themselves, that their union, their relationship created fellowship for others and something that happens in their home, in their apartment, in their lives that has happened as they were united started to overflow. One relationship has the power to create community for others. One relationship has the power to create community for others. Multiply that effect in the atonement multiply that, the extent of that, in what Jesus did at the cross. And so we are able, it's called, I would call it an embodied atonement, that the atonement gets lived out in the flesh, tangibly before us. So our reconciliation upwards with God turns outwards to other people. Our reconciliation upwards turns outwards and it's so fascinating because the early church, they began to live this way. You've got to remember that when the church started to grow, especially when non-Jews came into the picture, there was no like, my dad was a Christian for three, you know, for, for like way before me. Or, you know, my dad and their, my grandfather and my great-grandfather, they were all part of the church. Or, you know, like I've been, my family's been part of this, this church or Christianity for four generations. Or the roots of this church go back 300 years. There was, there was none of that 
first century. There's no history like that. There was no... It was no kind of like, oh, we know how to do this thing. We know how to do this community thing. We know, to, we know how to love one another and be one. The early church began to live this out without previous generations showing them how to. And this new reconciled relationship with God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit was so powerful that it created a community of reconciliation. That it created a community out of the atonement that reconciles them to God, them to each other, but it overflowed. Look at, look at how John nurtures this. John, as an older, older man, maybe 70s, 80s, speaks to this church. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Why? So that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Something happens when we come to faith that it's not just coming to faith, but it brings us into fellowship. And he goes on later, a couple of chapters later. He says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And look what John says next, after he talks about atonement. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so you have these early Christians practicing what was known as a communion meal, the Eucharist, or an agape feast, you know, that started with the Last Supper, but this beautiful, this beautiful expression around a table of food. Last week I had golf clubs. I wish I would have had a table this morning, just this table of food, just to understand the beauty of what happens in this new community. Remember that first century, there were so many divisions. We still fight against them today. We still stand against some, of the, some injustices. But if you think about the first century, men and women you know, were, were, were not viewed in the same way. Um, little girls were often disposed of uh, as, as babies because they weren't going to be as valuable as men growing up. Men and women did not have the same value. Slave and free were separate. Rich and poor did not uh, associate with one another. Right? Jew and Gentile did not associate with each other. And yet at the, at the Eucharist, at the communion meal, this meal where they're celebrating the atonement, what Jesus did on the cross, what does Paul say? There's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Greek or Jew, Scythian or barbarian, rich or poor, all are one in Christ Jesus. The atonement creates community. The atonement spills out in reconciliation. And I want to suggest something. And don't think I lack a zeal for mission here. But I would suggest that the first step of practicing atonement is not evangelism, but fellowship. That the first step of practicing atonement is not evangelism, but fellowship. Because when we come to Christ, we enter into fellowship with him, and we enter into fellowship with others. And Jesus says, when you love one another, they will see that you're my disciples. I would suggest that the first step of practicing the atonement is not just sharing your faith. And please don't get me wrong, share your faith like crazy. Love people, let them know who Jesus is. But the first step of practicing atonement is fellowship because the atonement broke down the barrier between us and God and us and others. And this is the result of reconciliation. It's creating a reconciling community. This is the gem of Christianity. 
This is the beauty of Christianity. Of course, we know, you know our belief, our orthodoxy is rested, of course, in the cross and, and, and who Christ is. But what the, world, what the world sees before they see the cross at times, they will see a community of atonement before they see the atonement. They will see a community of atonement before they see the atonement. And because, see, the atonement in us and through us create something beautiful. You guys know I love, love espresso coffee, and I was going to ask this question to you. What's, what's the symbol of a good espresso? What's the symbol of a good espresso? Anybody know? What? What? The cream. Exactly. The taste is important. The size is important. The temperature is important. If you go to the next slide, the cream is important. <laughs> see, and... <laughs> thank you. Nick, now, see, we're getting, we're, we're reconciling again. Um, see, it's, it's now, now the cream is not milk. The cream is not like, oh, here's coffee, I'm pouring some milk on it. Here, I've made some foam, let me sprinkle it on the espresso. It comes out because of the heat, when the heat is right, when the pressure is right, when they make it short enough and it, with the right size, there's this beautiful, perfect cream that comes on the top. So, and that's when you know, like, an espresso is legit. Like, this is a good espresso. What's the crema of atonement? What's the cream of atonement? It's community. The cream of atonement, the the beautiful thing that, that gets created in atonement is community. And there's so many beautiful early church stories. One of the stories I love reading about some early church accounts is what they call the common closet, where people would bring different, you know, different clothes that, that maybe they thought they had too much and somebody didn't have. And so one of the house churches would have a small little place in their house and they called it the common closet. That anybody who came to fellowship or to have you know, the agape meal or to spend time together or worship, they could go to the closet and say, what do you need? What do you need? What's, what, what would be helpful for you this week? Or they had often a common pantry where they encouraged and helped one another. There's this beautiful piece of what happened in the early church that reflects the cream of the atonement community. And here's what it is. It's our union with Christ creates communion with other people. Our union with Christ creates communion with each other. But here's the beautiful piece. Here's part of the, 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 the crema of atonement Fellowship turns outward in a positive way. Fellowship turns outwards, or maybe we'll say welcomes outwards. Scott McKnight says it like this, the atonement becomes not just something done for us, but what we do with God for others. The atonement becomes not just something done for us, because it is, but not just that, but what we do with God for others. And Paul highlights this in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. If you go to the, the slide, I'll, I'll highlight some of the verses. So all this comes from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only are we reconciled to God through Christ, we're given this ministry. Ministry is to do ministry, to serve people. When you minister to someone, you're serving them. We're given the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, what? Not just the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. So now we're given, we're given a ministry of reconciliation. We're given a message of reconciliation. And here's why. Because we are therefore, what? Christ's, what is it? Ambassadors. We're Christ's ambassadors. And th- tell me this doesn't blow you away. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. As though God, like God, is making his appeal through us. We're given the ministry of reconciliation. We're given the message of reconciliation because we're Christ's ambassadors. So we are, we, we stand, you know, in a sense, we represent him. Why? Because God wants to make his appeal to the world to experience the beauty and profoundness and extent of atonement. He wants to make his appeal through us. That's humbling and scary all at once. Why? I mean, I could mess that up. What if people don't see it as well as they should see it in me. But that's God's plan. That's God's part. We become part of his restoration project that he would make his appeal to the world to be reconciled with him and others through us. So what we do and what we say, we become partners in God's redemptive work. We're partners with him. The gospel, the, I think Paul says somewhere else that we become partners in the gospel. We become partners in God's redemptive work in this restoration project by what we say. We have the message of reconciliation. By what we do, we're given the ministry of reconciliation because it's our role. We're Christ's ambassadors that he would make an appeal to the world through us. This is how God has always worked with his people. One author summarizes it this way, and it's, it's, it's a longer statement, but so it's over three slides, so follow with me, okay? But it gives a great, beautiful picture of the scripture. We can begin anywhere in the Bible on this theme. We could begin with the creation of the covenant community of Abraham, with the Torah-shaped community of Moses, with the kingdom-shaped community of David, with the prophetically-shaped summons to a more just community, with the restored kingdom community of Jesus, with the spirit-inspired community of the early churches, with the ecclesially-shaped communities of faith formed by Paul, with the suffering-shaped communities established by Peter in Asia Minor, or the love-shaped communities envisioned by John. Now, last sentence. Wherever you go in the Bible... It is the same. The work of God is to form a community in which the will of God is done and through which one finds both union with God and communion with others for the good of others in the world. God's always worked through a community. Always worked through a community. That the work of God is to form a community in which his will is done. So people would find union with God communion with one another for the sake of the world. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. We spread reconciliation to individuals and to families and to co-workers and to society and to society. Think of your smallest pockets of relationships and your larger pockets of relationships and then the impact that, that is had on society. And there are many, many Christ followers over history that have had an incredible reconciling impact on society. So we, I want to read this statement so we get it. We do atonement work with God by extending reconciliation to the world around us. We do atonement work with God by extending reconciliation to the world around us. We, we don't save, we're not Jesus We don't reconcile the world to God. We don't reconcile each other to God. No, no, no. But we're given. God wants to use us to make his appeal through us. We do atonement work with God by extending reconciliation to the world around us, to individuals and families and friends and society at your workplace. So really briefly, I just want to 
just list three or four things. What does that look like? Like, if we're reconcilers, what does it look like? What does it look like to be a reconciler? Well, from what we've seen over the last few weeks and what happens at the atonement, I would say it starts with forgiveness. If we find forgiveness from the action of our sin and freedom from the agency of sin at the cross, then what it looks like for us to extend community would start probably with forgiveness. I like what one writer says. He says, forgiveness empowers God's new creation people with a revolution that turns hate into love and bitterness into hope and sorrow into dancing. That if, it start, if we've, for, we've received forgiveness, if you've received forgiveness, if I've received forgiveness, if we've experienced as a, that as a church, then what does it look like to be a reconciling community and be ministers of it? We extend to the others. We give it to others. We invite others into it. We extend forgiveness. So after the gathering, in a real simple way, I'm going to go make sure that I did not offend my brother Nick. Because we want to extend the, you know, forgiveness to each other. Now that seems simple. You know, and I know I'm kind of just playing on that, but that's the truth. That's the reality. That we extend one of the ways that we are not just reconciled to God, but that we become reconcilers and a reconciling community is that we begin to extend forgiveness to others. And when you forgive your brother and sister within community, when you forgive your family member in a family, when you forgive your coworker at work, when you forgive those who hurt you in society, you start the beginning of a reconciling revolution. It starts with forgiveness. It comes to this too, the second piece. We must learn to see people with a cross lens with like if my glasses are are uh, like you know just influenced by the cross that when i put them on i start to see people with a cross lens in other words if you've when i see you when i look at you if i look at you through the cross i should see you differently i should think about you differently i should care for you differently now we help others to do the same see we Because of the cross and because we've been impacted by the cross, we now see people through the intrinsic value that the cross gives them. We don't just see them with the value that we give them. We don't just treat them with the value that society gives them. We see them with the value that the cross gives them. Right? That's different. So now we see them with a a cross-shaped or influenced lens. When Paul says in Romans 5.8 that while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. What's he saying? He says... Your value is different. God has a different value. He values you so much that while you were still sinners, disconnected, damaged, unreconciled, he sent Jesus for you. If that's true, then that's a new lens, right? If, if what he says in John 3.16, famous verse, for God so loved the world that you know, he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. If that's true, then we have a new lens to look at people, right? Here's how Paul says it in this passage, 1 Corinthians 5.16, how it changes our perspective. So from now on, what does it say? Let's read that together. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Why does he say that? He says it because the cross happened. He says it because the atonement has reconciled him to God and to others and building a community of reconciliation. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. No one. How do we regard one another? Through a cross-shaped point of view. 
So we see each other differently. And you know what that also means for us as a church? When you see someone viewing someone else any less, you stand in the gap for them. You, you, you press into that and you, you advocate for them and you, tell, you encourage that person. You, you're not seeing them right. You're just seeing them through your lens. You're just seeing them through the world's lens. You're just seeing them through some labels lens. You, you need to see them through the cross's lens. And especially if they're a believer, you need to do that. But if they're not a believer, you need to somehow demonstrate to that, them to that. Demonstrate what that is, that, that God's changed your glasses to see them differently. And how could you miss their value? How can you miss their value? Reconcilers don't only see people with that lens. They advocate for every Christian to see people with that lens. And that's not a political statement. That's a Christian statement. We advocate for one another, to one another, to view others with a cross-shaped lens. We understand the damage of sin. That's the next one. You guys can start as we move into this close. We understand the damage of sin. You know what? When we know that we've been damaged by sin and, and we know that we've been reconciled to God and there's been healing, we, that humbles us. It humbles us. Reconcilers know that sin is damaging. So there's a new humility for ourselves and there's a new compassion for others. Because we know, we understand the damage of sin. And the last piece is this. We become inviters, not excluders. We become inviters, not excluders. Paul says, he starts with, God has reconciled us to himself. But what did he say just after that? He says, God has reconciled the world to himself. We become inviters, not excluders. Reconcilers know deeply that reconciliation is not only for them. It's God's intention for the world. Isn't that true? If you've been reconciled, and I've been reconciled, and we're a community of reconciliation, if that is true, then if we know that deeply, then we know we know that God doesn't just want to reconcile us, that his heart is for others. And so we want to be inviters, not excluders. We want to be inviters, not excluders. Peter writes to a church that felt for, like foreigners, strangers, abused in their culture, persecuted. And look what he says to them in this verse, chapter 2, verse 17. He says, honor everyone. Now, the second part, we, we might, yeah, that's, of course, love the family of believers. But before he says, love the family of believers, he says, honor everyone. Love the family of believers, but honor everyone. Fear God, even honor the emperor, that, where it's probably the source of your persecution. This, this, this idea, we, we're called to be hospitable to each other, called to honor everyone, even outside our family. That what is happening in each of us and all of us is extended to everyone. So here, as we come to the wrap up this series and wrap up the idea that the atonement's bigger than we thought it was, it's bigger than just us. And it's a reconciled community that becomes a reconciling community. We're not just a reconciled community. We've become a, we need to grow into becoming a reconciling community. So as, as we wrap this up, let me ask you, as you're just, just between you and the Lord, as you think this through, as we just take a moment here, what would that look like for you to begin living the atonement this week? It's great to wake up in the morning and say, get out of bed, thank you, Jesus, because you've saved me. So good, eh? Or you're praying and you're reading the Bible, you're like, thank you, Jesus. 
says, you went to the cross for me. Or there's a worship song that says, how great you are that you did this for me. And that's good, but don't stop there. Ask yourself this question. What would it look like for you to begin living the atonement this week? For you to begin seeing people with atonement lenses and treat other people with cross-shaped lenses. Where would you extend forgiveness? Where would you unite? Or where can you unite rather than you divide? Where would you invite rather than you exclude? Where can you do that? Can you do that at home? Could you do that with your friends? Can you do that at work? Where can you start that? I'm going to encourage you just to think about that as we come to a close today and let's just invite the Lord to lead us and guide us in that way. Um, we're going to pause. We're going to, we're going to pray. And um, just as we pray, uh, I'm going to invite you to have this moment just with the Lord um, that he invites you, he leads you, he guides you. And as we do that, we're going to ask the Lord to live in us, the Lord to shape us, the Lord to breathe in us because we know that we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Guys, maybe just the team will just lead us to sing this one verse in chorus as an invitation to the Lord to work in us as you're thinking about what's, what's next for you. So let's do that. Guys, why don't you just lead us briefly in the verse in chorus. And we're going to close in prayer. And if you just maybe with me in this moment feel like your next step is, yes, you've been reconciled, but you want to become a reconciler. We're a reconciled community and we want to grow in that. We want to become a reconciling community. That's your heart as I pray and just as a step for you to say, Lord, do this in me, do this in us. Um, just stand with me as, I, as we pray. Just as a, as, a, as, a, as a posture of, Lord, I give myself to this. I th I'm thankful for the atonement in my life, but I want to live it. I want to live the atonement. I want to extend the atonement. I want to be participants in a community of atonement that is extending the incredible reconciling love of God to the world. And if the Lord has brought a person to mind that you need to deal with with forgiveness, if the Lord has brought a situation where you need to be an inviter and not an excluder, a uniter, not a divider, maybe the Lord is convicted you of how you view somebody maybe in this room maybe in your home maybe in your workplace and God's convicted you to start viewing them seeing them through the lens of the cross let's surrender all this to God oh God thank you all this comes from you our the new relationship we have available to us in Christ all comes from you we say thank you you have reconciled us to you in Christ. And yet it's beyond us, God. You reconciled the world. And you long to see the world reconciled to you in Christ. God, as we step out of this um, five-week you know, journey of learning about the cross, God, we want to step into living the atonement. God, you've given us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. You have already called us your ambassadors that you would make an appeal to the world through us. God, we want to step into that role individually and together as a community. God, we thank, we thank you that we're reconciled, but we want to be reconcilers. We thank you that you're shaping us into a community of reconciliation. May that be truer and truer every day, but we want to be a reconciling community. 
May the expression of the atonement impact in our life be seen in our relationships and the way we treat people and how we turn to forgiveness and how we welcome and invite and how we spread this incredible message. So we give this all to you and give ourselves to you, God, for that end. May this Easter season, this week, as we reflect on the cross and the journey to the cross and as we come back Friday to celebrate around the meal, the atonement meal, and as we look forward to Sunday to celebrate resurrection, God, use us even this week to extend the reconciling work of the atonement to others around us. Use us, God. Make your appeal through us, but we need to allow you to. So open us up to the opportunities. Give us courage to step into them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.